0: House lights down. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Post Sunday Blues, a preaching postmortem. I am not my wife, Emily. I am Jim. We were gone away for a week, and now I am in the host saddle because last week at Liberty Church Collingswood, our executive pastor, the very right Reverend Eric Mitchell preached to us, so he'll be in my chair today. Eric, how you doing, buddy?
1: Hello, hello. Doing pretty well. Feeling good on a crisp tuesday morning here in south jersey wearing uh my boots which is nice i'm excited for fall weather it's good
0: so eric and i are dressed in different climates right now he's a he's a lumberjack, and i'm trying to milk the last days of it it, it's good for me to be out of season i i appreciate that i i should also say about eric his his in-laws left this morning from staying a few days with them uh eric what are your what do your in-laws think of the post and they lose a preaching post-mortem
1: they love it. They love all the blues references. Yeah, um, you know they, they're long time listeners. Uh, they have not they have not wrote in yet, so they're not long time first time, but they are long time.
0: So. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah, uh, people say about me sometimes they don't know if when I'm serious or when I'm joking. I feel the same way about what Eric just said. But here we are, <laughs> and Eric, you preached this past Sunday from Genesis chapter one verses twenty eight to thirty one. Let's do some, some talking about it. So, calling it Stormy Monday, which, as your in-laws know, is a T-Bone Burnett song from way back in the day. T-Bone Walker. T-Bone Burnett uh, is a producer, so I actually got my own <laughs> reference wrong there. It's awesome. Uh, yeah, but here we are, calling it Stormy Monday on a Tuesday. Give us some big picture, picture thoughts. Uh, this sermon, this Sunday, what was the burden of the preacher?
1: yeah um yeah cultural mandate is a topic that I really enjoy uh and love have done a lot of like reading and thinking about and some writing about in the past. I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit yep. as, uh over, over the next few minutes but yeah I think um yeah some of the things that I was kind of burdened for and and my goal hope aim telos, if you will mm. for this sermon uh for the listeners was just to try to yeah try to give people like a, a biblical uh, vision and, and maybe a bigger vision to think about, you know, how, how can they bring God's kingdom and bring all of their like Christian selves as followers of Jesus into like different aspects, different spheres, different parts of their life. Um, I didn't Mm -hmm. use the language of like secular sacred divide in my sermon, but a little bit of like trying to tear down that wall, Hmm. um, which I think the cultural mandate speaks to, to say, Hey, like all of our life as followers of Jesus is, is under this calling among other callings. Um, And so we enact this wherever we are, not just in things that are overtly religious or overtly Christian, like a Sunday morning or a small group or a service project at like a Christian organization or whatever, but it can be in our workplaces. It could be in our homes, our neighborhoods, as we, you know, host parties, like develop systems, like create art. Um, So, yeah, so that was kind of like one of my hopes was just to Mm -hmm. try to cast that picture, cast that vision Hopefully, in a compelling way, and in, in an inspiring way, right, 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 um, and in a challenging way. Hopefully, hopefully to challenge people to to think through their lives in different aspects of their lives through through a slightly different lens, maybe something they've never interacted with or thought about before. So that was kind of the the burden um, that I had and, and was excited to uh, to, to tackle uh, this Sunday.
0: I like it. And uh, sacred versus sexu- sacred versus sexual. <laughs> Sorry, sacred versus. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Yeah, let's stay again. So anyway, I, I I had a nice vacation. The sacred versus secular dynamic is going to play into the theological nerd subsection of muddying the waters. No. So there's going to be more to that a little bit later on. And so, Eric, it just kind of worked out when I was doing a first draft of mapping out the sermon series when I knew when I was going to be out of town, and it roughly fit when we were going to be in this passage of Genesis chapter 1. Right. And this is the classic cultural mandate passage. And I knew that in your past, both undergraduate and graduate studies, right? You've, you've been cogitating. Yeah. Mostly,
1: on, mostly in seminary. But, okay. but yeah.
0: Right. Yep. What What over the years has drawn you to the cultural mandate and, and to this set of questions, as opposed to something else? I, I knew that you this has been a long-term interest of yours
1: yeah good question so it 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 comes through um i had this in another section to talk about at some point i think i jotted this note down but i'm happy to do it now here um so the, the like the idea of the cultural mandate kind of falls under and is very like intermeshed and entwined with a larger sort of discussion within uh christianity i guess is is the right way to say that especially um among like theologians, authors, writers, that kind of thing, with yep. like the topic of Christ and culture. Yep. Um, so going back to like H. Richard Niebuhr and his book, early twentieth century, uh, titled "Christ and Culture." Right. Um, and just the idea of how, how do Christians interact uh, with the world? Like there there's a litany of options. Mm-hmm. Niebuhr lays out five. Some people collapse those. Some people come up with others because they just hate all of Niebuhr's options, which is fine.
0: I haven't read that. Have you actually read? For sure. Okay, nice. I have a copy. I'll be happy to lend. Okay, I've uh,
1: uh, I've read the Carson sort of
0: yeah, appraisal or, yeah. or revision, but I haven't yeah. actually Christ read. and
1: Culture revisited. Right, D. A. Carson, kind of like you, Jim, yeah, seems to just go with very straightforward titles to things. <laughs> <laughs> so it is what it says it is. Yeah. Um, Sacred versus sexual. Uh, boy, <laughs> this is gonna be a long podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah. So the the Christ and Culture is really the topic that drew me in. Quite a bit. And I, and I did find a way to sneak John 17 into this sermon, mm-hmm. which I really wanted to do because that is in my mind, a classic <laughs> is a classic text in many ways for that Christ and culture problem, which is mm-hmm. where I talked about, uh, where Jesus says like, you know, you're not of the world, don't you're, you're, you're in the world, but not of the world. Yep. Um, and that sort of is the classic, like Christ and culture question is how do we, how do we do that? Like, what does that actually look like in real, right. in real life? Um, so the cultural mandate is like a subset of that. There are other like doctrines that are intertwined with that, like common grace, which is what I've actually done probably most so of that's my writing, writing yep. and, and thinking about is mm-hmm. what my uh, thesis and seminary was, was on um, was, was more directed in that way. But, but right. again, but, but part of my interest there was to answer the Christ and culture question. Yeah. Um, and so coming at it from the angle of common grace, but the cultural mandate is another angle to come at it. It's sort of like a diamond with different facets, but it's all sort of this Christ and culture diamond. Yep. Um, and you're going to talk about work in a, yeah. in a couple of weeks uh, or, yeah, in like two weeks. And that's kind of a facet. Like environmentalism is another facet, which is very tied to the cultural mandate yep. in, in this same passage. And so, yeah, um, I don't know if that answers your question, but it was really the it's the Christ and culture question. Mm-hmm. And, and to use like Francis Schaeffer's famous book title phrase, like how should we then live? Um if, if this is all true. And, and that's... It's part of the Anger Carson School of title yeah, like right there. Yeah, there you go. Um, so yeah, so it's, you know, we're trying to answer that question, I think is what intrigues me so much because when you look across the landscape of Christianity, uh, both modernly, like now in the West, but also just like over the course of history, like this answer has been answered in lots of different ways and, and yeah. the way that people live out their faith looks... Pretty radically different, depending on how you answer that question, and so that that's been a um, a topic that's always intrigued me, and um, yeah. So I don't know. There's the answer. Two follow-up questions.
0: Uh, one, at some point early on in this podcast, Eric, I wanted to, to ask for some for some definitions. So yeah, re- real quick, tell us uh, for our listeners out there, our howling wolves, uh, and you know, there's not one. There's not only one way to define it, but like. Christ and culture problem, what or question? What is that? And then, what is the cultural mandate?
1: Yeah. So the Christ and culture question, which I just teased out a little bit, sort yeah. of kind of. I don't know if I defined it per se, but is basically, uh, yeah. What is what is what is a Christian's if what if, as a follower of Jesus? What is our what should our interaction with the culture look like? Mm-hmm. Uh, how enmeshed or engaged in the culture should we be what's our responsibility to create culture to be a part of culture to mm-hmm. withdraw from culture what does that look like yeah um it's kind of the Christ and culture question so again um and i sort of through these two poles, or the two two of Niebuhr's answers to that question in my sermon but like that question can be answered on the one hand by saying like hey like don't worry about it just be a part of culture completely a mesh yeah uh, completely be of the world um and I forget Niebuhr's exact phrase there but Th- that's a Christ of culture right it might just yeah that might just be what it's called yeah. Christ of culture um uh it, it's sort of one pole one of the other poles is uh to be Christ against culture and just right. to simply say flee from it run away don't be yeah. any part of it at all only fight it um and culture being defined de- I should say being def- defined pretty broadly it doesn't just mean like high culture like mm-hmm. the arts or yeah. th- and things but yeah. it includes all of life politics education you know uh the marketplace yeah um family all that stuff it's just it's it's anything that has been crafted out of the raw material of the world mm-hmm. uh, like cultural artifacts which would yeah. sort of be like what authors would talk about um so yeah so it's just like how to answer that question um most of orthodox christianity I would answer that question somewhere in the middle of those two polls. Right. Um, and so Niebuhr actually gives three options that are kind of in the middle and clearly leans towards one of them. Right. Which is many people's criticism of his book as he sort of is leading his audience to the answer that he wants them to come to.
0: Objection leading the witness.
1: Um, but anyway, so so yeah, so it's all about like how, how as a follower of Jesus do we interact with culture? What's our And especially what's, what is our responsibility? Do we have a responsibility to try to transform culture? Yeah. Or do we just let it be what it is and either – Join it or or fight against it, yeah. Um, or, or or one of uh, one of the other options, um, yeah. And then the cultural mandate is comes from a school of thought, sp- specifically coming out of like the Dutch tradition, which I I did quote three different Dutch theologians. it ain't Dutch. It ain't much on Sunday. That's good. I like that, Jim. Did you come up with that? Yes. All right. Um. No. So um, coming out of out of the Dutch reform tradition, specifically in Kuiper, I used him in my introduction, being sort of like the father of of all of that there's actually an entire school of of thought called kaiparianism um mm. following following his his uh his lead right um which includes many modern theologians as well dutch or not um but the cultural mandate is something that is taught and held uh by people that that find their themselves somewhere in the middle to say okay here in genesis 128 31 we see that there's this command and, and I talked about in the sermon how you probably should ignore it's an uh, imperative. this imperative that yeah. was given pre-fall. Let's think about this for a minute. Um, but he, hey, here is this command that seems to tell us that we have a responsibility to do something in this world, um, and 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 to take to to continue God's creative work in the world and to move it forward. Mm-hmm. Um, not that God's creation was incomplete. I mean, He says in verse thirty-one that it was very good. It, it's the pinnacle. It's the climax of creation. Yep. Um, but he still commands us nonetheless uh, to garden, uh, to, to be a gardener, to care for his creatures and to create culture and move things forward. And so the cultural mandate is all about, um, yeah, let's 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 do that. Let's work to create good things that are God glorifying and for the well-being and good, good of all, not not only ourselves, but also um, also other humans, other creatures and, and the environment as well.
0: So. Yep, Nice. Second question for Call It Stormy Monday, before we move on, unless you have anything else here, Ark. Yeah. So so at Liberty Collingswood, we want to be a church that doesn't throw under other church traditions under the bus, like the, the Christendom, the Kingdom of God, the Church of Jesus Christ is a big swimming pool, so, right, so right. we don't presume that we're the only good part of the pool by any stretch. But by the same token— in terms of your, your upbringing in the church, did, and for the part of the swimming pool of the church that that you were in growing up, did, was the cultural mandate, whether or not that term was used, was it something that like you learned from a young age or when you came to these concepts as a young adult, did it give some interesting complementary perspectives on where you had been so far?
1: Yeah, good question. So I did not grow up in a Presbyterian and Reformed tradition, so uh, which is typically where Topics like the cultural mandate, common grace are mm-hmm. found was not something I was familiar with. Um, I did start following Jesus in high school, uh, but yeah, grew up in a tradition that didn't didn't necessarily espouse these values. So whether explicitly or just implicitly, uh, in the church context that I grew up in was very much leaned it, it leaned more in, into Niebuhr's uh, Christ against culture to say okay. Um, well, man, I could go a couple directions with this. <laughs> In some ways it, it was very much Niebuhr's Christ against culture mm-hmm. where, Hey, we shouldn't intermix with the world. Um, but we should be separate, um, separate, you know, Christian schools. Don't, don't watch movies that aren't explicitly Christian, listen to music that, that isn't explicitly Christian, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. But we should, um, we should be this holy community, which, which is a biblical concept, obviously. Um, but yeah, we should, we should be separate, um, in all of these ways. Um, the, the one, the one caveat to that was, uh, in, in the world of politics. So in, in the tradition I grew up in was very well connected to the religious right, Jerry Falwell, some of that sort of stuff. So the one area that it seemed to go against the grain of kind of what was preached in the pulpit was when it came to politics, when it Mm -hmm. seemed like, oh no, we should transform culture. We should be involved. We should get in the fray. We should try to pass laws and have policies and things that yeah. do push towards, you know, what what they believed was um, a more a, a more Christian view of life, or, or or pushing it towards the kingdom of God. Um, and so it's kind of it's kind of an interesting mix there, um, that it's in, in everyday life it was very much a pulling away from culture, mm-hmm. but then in the area of politics there seemed to be this sort of. Oasis of okay, we are gonna, we actually are gonna do that thing over here. Yeah, but again, the 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 topic itself for common grace wasn't 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 discussed. But my my overall uh, takeaway growing up there was was to was to move in the other direction Uh, was was to be against and and to sort of I I referenced it in my sermon to to sort of like throw rocks from like a Christian safe haven. Yeah, um, rather than like actually be out as salt and light. Um, right in and amongst the world, so the life and times of Eric Mitchell. Everybody,
0: yeah. One of one of my issues, and not specifically the tradition that you grew up in, Eric, but but more broadly with the whole Christ against culture idea, is that it's really hard to be that consistently. So you end up cherry picking. So you say yeah. we're going to be totally separate from Christian er- entertainment and media, but you still have a computer and an iPhone and right. shop at Walmart, <laughs> and, right, right, right? And you you end up having to define culture really narrowly because all of the rest of this stuff. And I thought in your sermon, you did a really good job of saying culture is just making stuff at one level. Culture is yeah. making stuff. Yeah. And so we're using and engaging with culture and consuming culture all the time. So right. saying, hey, we don't want to do anything that's that that's not Christian. Like this is not a uh, Christian pencil. This is not a Christian water bottle. It, it, it gets silly as far, after as, a know, yeah, as far as we know. Uh, yeah. This episode is brought to you by Hydroflow, the the Christian water bottle alternative. But yeah, it it gets silly after a while.
1: Yeah. Yeah. My my water bottle could take your water bottle in a fight though, I'm just going to say. Uh, shout out Stanley. <laughs> it, We're giving away too many free ads. It, it, it is bigger. Um yeah, no, I think that's right. It it is hard. I mean, I mean, in the one hand, I mean, here we are in the Philadelphia region and and you move we don't have to drive very far to see horses and buggies and, yeah. and the Amish. Um on the one hand, I really respect the fact that they're actually trying to live that out mm-hmm. more consistently. Yeah. Though again, it does get goofy. Right. Because then it's like, well, we can use batteries, but we can't have electricity in our house or like whatever, you know. And so it yeah. there are some can be some goofy elements, but yeah, I think if you're really going to lean in that way, um, I think that kind of Anabaptist tradition, Amish, and some of those uh, that come out of, come out of that branch of the Reformation are really doing that a little bit more consistently.
0: Right, yeah. So consistency is in their favor. Eric, have you ever been, you're, you're from Tennessee. Have you ever been to Sun Studios? No. Okay. That's well, in Memphis, right? Here's your first time. Is that in Memphis? at uh, Nashville. I never... Oh, okay. I haven't been to Nashville. I've never been to Memphis. Yeah, Sun Studios. Wait, no. It's in Memphis. I was getting mixed up with Elvis. I, in country music, I'm a country fraud. I'm, I'm being exposed exposed with my own references Fire here. Sorry, Yeah, Sun Studios I have not is, been either way. is in Memphis. Although Elvis started recording in Sun Studios in Memphis, I had a brain freeze for a second. He did most of his recording in Nashville and not in Memphis. It's so, really interesting. Studio, yeah. Interesting. The... When he went from Sun Records to RCA, yeah. which was based in Camden, New Jersey at, at the time. So True that. This, is the, this is the center of the universe. Presence of the Lord, our first section here, we're talking about the sermon passage itself. One of the things that I love about Genesis chapter 1 is that, you know, there are interpretive implications everywhere. But when you take the surface of the text, it's actually pretty nicely straightforward. Yeah. Um, and so these are verses where God's telling our first parents, Adam and Eve, to do some stuff, and then that command spins forward uh, to us. I, I appreciated, Eric, thinking about how we can double-click on this passage a little bit. I thought you did a good job of explaining what dominion and the subduing of the earth right. means in a context like this and what it doesn't mean. Could you tell me a little bit more about that or what, what was—bring uh, us into the kitchen at that point?
1: Yeah, I mean, that was really—when I looked at this passage that I, that I was given from on high— uh <laughs> from jim's spreadsheet uh, i'm all about spreadsheets all about it all about it jim taught me everything i know about excel um you, spreadsheet know, program. They, they, <laughs> you know like when i looked at the passage and the, really the, the i mean you, you talked about the image of god last week you right. talked about days of creation there's a lot more like difficult things to tease out in some of those passages yeah so when i looked at these verses um it was pretty straightforward uh, you know, it's a s- shorter passage, uh, a shorter text, and yeah. So those two words, or those two verbs specifically, and those concepts were really the main thing I, that needed to be fleshed out. I think to to from from an intellectual like let's understand the passage level. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like I said in the sermon, at first blush, like those words don't sound great. Yeah. Um, I don't. I I didn't necessarily look through all the different translations to see how those verbs are translated in other translations but at least in the esv have dominion and subdue it sounds it sounds a little harsh sounds a little domineering it's,
0: it's very wagner <laughs>
1: uh yeah it does it, it doesn't sound selfless and sacrificial and right. um and everything so yeah so that felt like really important um from it from an exegetical standpoint that that felt like probably the most important um thing to sort of tease out and bring mm-hmm. people into the kitchen in a little bit and so yeah i mean both of those words are used in other places of scripture they're not Rare words per se, and so it was easy. It's pretty easy to go to some other places of scripture and say, Okay, like where do we find this verb and context and what's being talked about? Is it something that you know is universally or most of the time kind of used in a domineering way or not? And Mm -hmm. you find pretty quickly, um, with the dominion one that it's it's not, um, right? So I referenced a couple passages there, there are others. Um, that I think show that at least they're in a similar place where, uh, the command or, or the illustration of the King who, who is exercising dominion is, is one of of kindness and and righteousness and justice and that sort of thing. Um, yeah. And and then with the subdue one, uh, which is not found in chapter two, when we get into that account Mm -hmm. of creation, but. You find the parallelism there, um, where instead of using that word, it talks explicitly about uh, working, working the land, and uh, and 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 the agrarian piece. And so you can kind of say, "Oh, okay, well, that's sort of what subdue means, not yep. not like rule over in like a tyrannical right. uh, sense." So, um, yeah, so that that felt like an important, an important, um, not necessarily challenging, but an important like exegetical piece to to bring in.
0: Yeah. Yeah, reading the Bible with nuance, and I thought the sermon did a really good job of doing just that. So Eric at Liberty Collingswood this fall and for the next couple of years, we're engaging in our represence initiative where we're trying to inculcate within our people a third-way walk in worldview. Part of that is bodily stewardship. We are going to begin to market the Liberty Collingswood diet in various <laughs> platforms. I so no idea what so I was intrigued when, when you noted that the diet in the garden pre-fall was vegetarian. Is is that? I'd never heard that before. So tell me. I mean,
1: just read the verses. Tell me dog. more. It's pretty straightforward. <laughs> yeah, it's not until it's not until post-fall huh. uh, when when uh, when God comes to Adam and Eve. They're mm-hmm. hiding from him in the garden. This is you know, I'm, I'm giving I'm giving away the story that we're going to get to in the coming weeks. Yeah. So um, well, they can read ahead. Fair enough. Um, so yeah, so it's not until, it's not until after Adam and Eve fall or, or sin and rebel against God, Hmm. what's called the fall that, uh, God comes along, uh, that he kills an animal, uses the skin to cover Mm -hmm. Adam and Eve's nakedness. That's the first animal, uh, in the scriptures that, that is, that is killed. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it's at that point that he then set kind of opens the door to say, okay, like the flesh of animals is fair game. Uh, to eat now. And so yeah, so pre-fall huh. was vegetarian, um, which is which is kind of interesting. And again, I was still digesting a yummy burger in my belly <laughs> while I was preaching the sermon from the from the day before. So there's a little bit of guilt there, but uh not necessarily. Um but anyway, but yeah, so it's kind of an interesting thing. But but again, I think the, the reason I brought it up was not um to commend necessarily that anybody should be vegetarian or vegan or whatever, even though if you are that's that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um but to say just as an illustration, that's right there in the text. Like again, look, this isn't about like slaughtering the creation that God had made right, right, in the right. name of dominion and subduing. Yeah, um, it's actually the opposite. That the caring for the animals includes uh, not using any of them at all. I mean, um, from uh, at least their meat uh, mm-hmm. f- from a diet perspective, which just drives home the point. I think, yeah, um, that it was a kind and gracious uh, dominion in uh, subduing.
0: It, it caught my ear, and I was listening to this sermon, Eric, when I was having breakfast this morning, and it was vegetarian, not vegan for, for our listeners. So I was, I was fulfilling my cultural mandate this morning. I felt very— The eggs over medium? The eggs over medium. Love it. It's catching on. Love it. So anything else here, Eric, you'd want to tell me before we get into mudding the waters a little bit? Anything else about this text?
1: The the only last thing, and I only mentioned it briefly, but it felt important. And you might say this even this Sunday again, when or next Sunday when you look at these verses again, was mm-hmm. just a was just to point out the very good. Yeah, um, that's tough, there. Tough. I mean, it's it's you just can't ignore it. That yeah. when you read through Genesis one, at the end of each day, there's uh, a chorus, uh, like you know, a repetition of phrase mm-hmm. that you know, and God saw that it was good. But then here it says very good. It just sticks out. Yeah. So it felt important to note that, and just again to mention that. Not only the creation of man, but creation of man in the image of God, and not only the creation of man in the image of God, but also a, an image bear that was given a task to do. That mm-hmm. is very good. That is the climax of creation. Right, so it just seemed important to note that.
0: Yeah the uh, the LDV the Larry David version has God saying at the end pretty pretty good at the end of Genesis <laughs> chapter one, <laughs> moving along to muddying the waters. Yeah, so so Eric, I've I've been gone for a few days. Uh, it's not unusual when you're preaching on a Sunday when I'm in town that like you know I'll hear a little bit during the week. Hey, how's sermon writing going? Right, right, right. You know, where are you in the process? Do you feel good about it? So I know nothing going into this question. Uh, yeah, well, what was fun or difficult about putting the sermon together?
1: Yeah, the, the first thing that was difficult. And I, and I don't I actually I don't know um, if you've given this away on some of the other podcasts necessarily, but we're we're coming at this series. No, okay. <laughs> Should I say it? I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> Go for it. That we're we're coming at this series, working through the Book of Genesis. And on the one hand, that, so this is like a working through a book of the Bible series. It's mm-hmm. not a topical series, but on the other hand, we have some topics in mind connected to different passages of Scripture that mm-hmm. we want to touch on. Right. And so part of what was difficult about this passage is that I was limited in some ways to the cultural mandate yeah. in these verses because, and I mentioned this a moment ago a little bit, that the cultural mandate is so intertwined with so many other topics. Um, as far as I know, we're not talking about common grace from Genesis, um, even though I'm sure we could find it somewhere and have fun with it. But, yeah. um, But and I mentioned like, hey, I'm, I'm going to ignore the environmental and like ecological Pieces here mm-hmm. um, because you're going to talk about that another week not yep. because it's not there and right. not because it's not com- super intertwined with the cultural mandate that there's yeah. there's both a preservation and a development aspect and so mm-hmm. um, it, w- it was challenging in some ways to try to limit myself and to keep leaning in that way and only talk about that and not the, the preservation piece or like Christian ecology piece which is something that I also really enjoy and am passionate about and I've done some reading about but mm-hmm. um, so that was challenging, and then also not only that, but but our work, <laughs> like our vocations, like what right. we're paid to work yeah. and do, is also tied with the cultural mandate. But you're going to talk about that later too. So
0: your boss is such a control freak. I know. Okay. So I
1: was, I was, I preach was on, preach on this passage, but don't talk about all these other yeah, things. There's all the things you can't touch and take away. <laughs> all my good quotes and stuff. And so yeah, I mean, so it was a fun, it was a fun challenge. Like here's overall. a Saul Bellow quote that I'd like you to use in the Yeah, sorry. People would know that wasn't me pretty quickly. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so that was that was challenging uh, a little bit that I was trying to narrowly kind of walk a path of this one topic that Mm -hmm. we had identified to preach on and talk about this week. So that was a little bit challenging because again, they're just they're so intertwined in different ways. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was challenging. Um, Like another challenging piece too, and maybe you felt this in some in some of these same sermons. That you've preached already, or especially maybe in some upcoming ones, where you similarly have kind of a narrowly defined topic, right. um, it's it's challenging to adequately explain a concept in a sermon that maybe is pretty foreign um, mm-hmm. to people. To, to feel like you're actually explaining it well, but also kind of having other sermonic pieces like it's yeah you know where you want to have we want to have jesus we want to have gospel we want to have encouragement we want to have exhortation we want to have application there's all those other elements that you find in sermons Mm -hmm. and so the 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 there's a there's a fine line i think between like a lecture and a sermon um yeah for sure and so for this topic or, or for a sermon where the topic is narrow is a little bit narrowly defined like that was a challenge to say okay There was different times during my sermon prep where I felt like, this is a little luxury. Like, Mm -hmm. it sounds a little bit too much like a paper I've written in the past. Like, I need to to rearrange these puzzle pieces. I need to put some different things in and Mm -hmm. bring this more to a sermon level um, to make sure I'm engaging with the text well, to make sure I'm doing justice to Genesis 1, to make sure that uh, some cross is in there, uh, to make sure, you know, that people feel, walk away at the end, hopefully feeling inspired and encouraged as well as challenged and not just, you know, one of the things that Jim and I talk about sometimes, and one of the things that I'm pretty passionate about in my own preaching is I, I don't want people to walk away from a sermon and walk out into the courtyard at Holy Trinity and say, wow, I didn't know that. That was interesting. Like Mm -hmm. I want people to walk out and say, man, that was like, that was, that was really great. I feel really inspired to go and do X. Um, you know, the, the point of sermon is to get people to like move in some ways, not just to, not just to think that yeah. we want them to do both. Right. Um, Thirdly
0: walking world you.
1: <laughs> so that's, so the sermon versus lecture was a little bit of a challenge. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, I think those were really the main challenges was just the narrow, the narrow topic. And then just trying to make sure it didn't feel like a lecture. Those were probably the most challenging things as I was putting it together.
0: Yeah. For the, for the latter, I thought, the, towards the end of the sermon when you gave a lot of rapid fire examples about what is the cultural yeah. mandate look, for, look like for you how you talked about scale is important like you don't have to be Abraham yeah. Kuyper right but not only like, hey, think think small, think within the scale of your own yeah. world and what you're doing, but you gave maybe five or six, like if you're a this, do this, if you're a that, yeah. do that yeah. sort of thing. So yeah, I think that really helped. Or not that it seemed lecturous beforehand, but it helped to drive home that there are some like yeah. practical trajectories that we want people to go on yeah. uh for the sermon. So with cool. with with engaging different contexts, you know, the average person in the congregation at Liberty Collingswood didn't necessarily have your upbringing. Right. Didn't necessarily have my upbringing. Right. Uh, what uh, and, and don't don't name specific people <laughs> right now. But um,
1: you know who you the, are. Yeah. Uh, <laughs>
0: what what were you tra- what what part of the picture were you trying to fill in, given this specific context with with our people? Like what what might they have been struggling with that you were hoping that this sermon could could engage in a helpful way.
1: Yeah. I mean, man, that's such a good question. I don't know if I have this. I don't have this like written down um, or maybe have perfect words to put on this, but I think yeah, we do have a, a swath of church background and experience in our congregation, people that have been walking with Jesus for a long time. Uh, and and then people that are new mm-hmm. to it or are doing it at least for the first time since they were kids Yeah, as adults. So, um. Yeah. It, it, yeah. So, so there were a lot of different like things that I had in mind. I mentioned some of those earlier, just like trying to give people like a, a perspective that maybe they haven't considered before. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. I, man, I would say. I I know for myself. I hope f- I wasn't preaching to myself <laughs> necessarily, but well, we uh, we never don't. Okay, well, I that's mean. true. Yeah. Uh, we always bring ourselves into the sermon and into and into, into exegeting scripture, but um. Yeah, I, I mean, the last 18 months of pandemic and dealing with COVID-19, which just won't go away. Like my daughter's school got an email like last night, you know, yeah. late about, you know, somebody, you know, testing positive. Uh, Merry Christmas. Just happens routinely. Um, the, uh, It's been a season where I think a lot of people feel like they're sitting around not doing a whole lot. Yeah. You know, um, now I have young kids. Four, four month old and a, and a three year old so when I say sitting around not doing all that I don't mean that you're not busy with work or busy with kids yeah but in the last 18 months my the things that I've done outside the house have have been much less mm-hmm. and I think there can be a crisis of like what am I doing like I, I have a job and I'm working hard I have my family but like what is like what is the purpose of like me like being a neighbor and being a friend and being mm-hmm. a son or a daughter or a, a brother-in-law or a sister-in-law or whatever yeah. all those different like hats that we wear in different relational contexts i know for myself we haven't we, you know our travel to tennessee to see family has been limited we haven't hung out with some friends as much as we normally would et cetera, et cetera. and so i think there's a lot of sort of like hey i'm existing day in and day out but like what is all this for where am i aiming what yeah. am i you know, I'm mowing my grass and like trying to make my yard look better. But like, why? <laughs> because That's I have to, great st- point. because I have to stare at it because I'm working from home, which is partially true. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think the cultural mandate, I think, gives us a, a bigger vision that can lift our eyes up from the day to day to say, Hey, like everything that you are doing, whether it's beautifying creation by like, you know, aerating and fertilizing your yard or planting new bushes do you know Mm. what aerating is Jim by the way just blow (laughs) blow like the winds we'll talk about it later um (laughs) so whether it's those things or or again whether it's like you know I have a neighbor uh right next door to us who, who who likes to create music um you know uh in his in his spare time like in his basement or attic or whatever um you know, and so like all these things that we do, like it's tr- it's the cultural mandate, I think helps us to lift our eyes and say, Hey, what, like, what is this for? Like, where does this come from? What is it supposed to be aiming for? Mm-hmm. Aiming at, where is it going? Yep. Um, yeah. So to try to give some purpose, I think, to the pieces of life um, that, that we just do and live and experience on a mm-hmm. day to day, week to week, month to month basis. And again, in these last 18 months, it's just been so sideways. Right. So that was kind of part of the, part of the thing. And I, and, and um, yeah, I think from people, I didn't. I mean, I I never hear like tons of feedback from sermons. It's one of the things that we talk about. Uh, it's like I don't know if it's good or bad if I don't hear much feedback. But um, but but yeah, I did hear. We feedback. assume good if we don't hear feedback. Totally. Yeah, we assume best ever. <laughs> but yeah, but did hear feedback from one individual. Um, about like, hey, that was great. Like going through some struggles at work right now, and that perspective like is is uh, is helpful for me to think through like over these next couple of weeks while I'm navigating some difficult situations and like. That's kind of that's that's the point. Awesome. Like that's what I was, you know. That's kind of what I'm aiming for. Is because mm-hmm. without that Christian perspective, without that Christian worldview, those le- that lens through which to look at the things we do in life, sometimes things can just feel purposeless. And they mm-hmm. just feel like I go to this job, I get my paycheck every two weeks, so that I can be home and be with my family and pay my bills, and like it's just this cycle of. You know, you get into like an Ecclesiastes, like this is all vanity. Yeah. Like what is the yeah. point of all this? And I, right. I think a, a good biblical worldview l- can lift us out of that. And I think the cultural mandate is one of those pieces that I think can lift us out of that and say, oh, no, like all of this has a purpose and can go somewhere. I can engage in these different activities and redeem these activities that I'm doing anyway and, right. and try to push things in a positive direction. So it can give it can give meaning and purpose to life like, and, and relationships and tasks and things.
0: Yeah, for sure. And here's the flip side of that question, and this is the last thing that I have, at least, Eric, for muddying the waters. Uh, here at Liberty Collingswood, we're, we're seeking to engage educated skeptics, uh, people that think Christianity and a Christian story might not have a whole lot for them and or it's bad for our world and for, right. for human beings. I have a couple thoughts here, if so don't uh, don't, don't feel like you have to give the last answer uh, yeah. here, but for, for a secular person in Collingswood or surrounding boroughs, what, do you have any thoughts with the question, like, why do I need the cultural mandate just to do my own, like, culture-making and, and, and
1: my thing? What does, this, what does this have to do or speak to me in one way or another? Yeah, well, I think, you know, I mentioned, um, like in the sermon, I mentioned some of the different like pieces to it or some mm-hmm. of the different like aspects of it. Yeah. Um, you know, one of those we talked about it a minute ago was like the compassionate and selfless piece. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think that's important because I, you know, again um, and not to jump ahead, like to some of the quotes or some of the other things that I talked about, but, but I think in that section specifically, like in, in the Christian view of things, we live in a, in a broken world mm-hmm. where sin, we're not prefall anymore. sin has entered rebellion against God, rebellion against God's commands has entered the world. There's a lot of woundedness. there's mm-hmm. a lot of you know we have we have weaknesses um susceptible to temptation um and so the cultural mandate and our own culture making, without some sort of divine check on mm-hmm. it, can get sideways, i think pretty easily, yeah. Um, that maybe that something that starts out being selfless and being good uh, can turn into something that is self-serving, mm-hmm. something that becomes uh, s- something that does become like a, a bad version of dominion and mm-hmm. subduing. Mean, doing, it does become that domineering harsh, right. you know, like whether, whether it's uh, unjust or whether it's just, um, you know, just, pure self selfishness uh, mm-hmm. in different ways. And so I think I think the cultural mandate, when, when we tie it to prefall and we tie it to God and to a divine command, something that's embedded in our humanity, I mm-hmm. think it can bring us back to some some standards Yeah, um, that we can c- continue to go back to. Otherwise, I think we could talk ourselves into, oh, well, I'm doing I'm doing culture making, but really deep down, um, it's really just for you it's not really for anybody else. Mm-hmm. It's, it's maybe it has an end that uh, is positive, but maybe the way that you get there isn't the best or, or whatever, you know, and, and yeah. you're making like ethical, uh, unethical uh, choices and things in the process. So I don't know if that answers the question fully, but I think, I, I think the compassionate and selfless piece is a big part of that. Yeah. Um, and, and then again, I think also, going back to what I said a little bit earlier about the Christ against culture, like for whether people are followers of Jesus or not, it could be easy just to want to check out and not be involved. Yeah. Um, like not everybody who's like, not a, who, who's, who's not a Christian, like is passionate to like be involved in their communities and, and try yeah. to make change for the better. Some people just want to do their own thing and in their own family and in their own house and sort of say, leave me alone, get off my lawn. And yeah, um, and I think that, that that's an error, too, mm-hmm. um, that you are part of a larger story and you're part of a larger community uh, that you do have a responsibility to. So even the fact that it's given and it's a part of our image of God, and, and I said in the sermon that being involved and in participating in the cultural mandate is one of the things that helps make us human. Right. Um, so if, whether people are, are Christians or not, I think being in that process uh, is essential to who we are, and then also, yeah, some of some of the the things that I tried to tease out that gives some gives some um, uh, some direction, uh, gives some gives some guardrails that maybe mm-hmm. is, is the right word uh, to help us direct it in the, in the right way. That again is for the well being and flourishing uh, of all of creation. I don't know. Yeah, those are a couple of thoughts. Maybe that's not super well thought out, Jim. A little bit of rambling, but yeah, love to hear your take, interact with that.
0: I, I think I agree, and you can put on an axis. On one hand, at one pole, there is total withdrawal, and then on the other hand, there is making stuff for yourself or for your tribe. You actually need Jesus to pull you away from both of those right. poles to find the middle ground where you're doing stuff, you're engaging, you're building, you're making culture, but it's not for you and about you. And you see both, right. both on the right and on the left – there's a lot of self snuck into a lot of different projects, or, or, right. or tribe, and I think being able to be compassionate and selfless is is just a game changer. Uh, yeah, what the old poem: "I am Ozymandias, king of kings. Look upon my work, ye mighty, and despair." That's that, that's a nihilistic view of culture making that I think Jesus rescues us from. Mm. And then the only other thought that. Comes to my mind here, Eric, is that it gives us hope. Where, yeah. if 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 there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth, right. our building, our making beauty, our making culture, is not in vain. It's right. it's not just the idea of our culture making is just building sandcastles in Ocean City that are gonna go out with the tide. Yeah. That the next day, when hey, this is really great, but it's all gonna burn, crash, die, right. freeze eventually, but, but there's a larger sense yeah. of continuity from this world to the next, uh, that building truly is important. It's right. pre-fall, post-fall, and also in the new heavens
1: and new earth to come. So we do so with hope and not with despair. No, yeah, that's right. I'm glad your kids let your sandcastles make it till the next day, Mike. My- <laughs> three-year-old destroys whatever i make in about five seconds
0: <laughs> we are all mini
1: ozymandias of different
0: of of different sorts so bar band cover tunes Boom, let's do it so why,
1: why do you hate people that aren't dutch you know um i once heard a wise man say if you're not dutch you're not much so it's <laughs> true touche
0: tell me about some of these uh dutch and other that came into the sermon this week
1: yeah, I mean, I don't want to like go crazy and dig into this. I mean, you know, get on the old Google machine, and you can find more information yeah. on all these folks. But, um, but yeah, but Kuiper, um, a- again, like the cultural mandate, common grace. Some of these conversations come out uh, of, of a, st- a stream of theologians and thinkers that um, all point back to him in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, that Kuiperianism, and so. Seemed important to have him a part of this. I also wanted in 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 the introduction to lay out kind of like how do you get to a worldview? Like what what questions does a worldview answer? Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I just thought there was a natural fit there to like bring Kuiper into it and and then bring in uh the first of his of his six lectures in the Stone Lecture Series at Princeton, right? um Which is published as a book by itself. That's That's, um, that's,
0: it's called lectures on Calvinism lectures
1: on Calvinism. You can actually, it's actually public domain at this point. I actually Mm. like Googled it. I was out somewhere and didn't have my copy with me. And I Googled it and found like a PDF of the entire thing online. So boom, just Google that junk. You don't have to buy it if you don't want, um, he's the original father, Abraham. (laughs) So, um, yeah, so, so Kuyper, uh, so that's kind of him. And he, again, he's a guy who really tried to live this out. And and as I mentioned in the introduction, like he he had his fingers in so many different things. He was involved in so many different things, like building and and trying to redeem so many different aspects of society and culture. Um, so yeah, he's an inspiring figure. Uh, his biographies are fascinating to read and flip through um, because the, he, he was just everywhere, like in Dutch culture at that time.
0: Yeah. And and for, for Kuiper, you know Abraham Kuyper a lot better than I do. But this is one of those examples where a person's biography really underscores yeah. the, the body of work and whatever this person prescribes. Like yeah. He, yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. He, he practiced what he preached and just did a politics, education, church, other stuff. Like he he actually made a lot of culture and participated in a lot of
1: different ways. So yeah.
0: so yeah, his his work on the subject bears more weight than most, I think, because of that.
1: Yeah, because he lived it out. Yeah, he really did. And and a lot of these other theologians that I mentioned that that I mentioned, like Bob Inc, especially uh, Shielder, who both of them like kind of flowed right after him. Right. Um, and uh and and learned from him directly. So, um yeah, and again, like um it could this could be a little bit of like uh. I don't know speaking of D.A. Carson there's probably some fallacy here somewhere but like (laughs) um part part of the some of the writing and research that I did on this was narrowly defined not only to like Protestant reform but to Dutch reformed (laughs) and and so I've just done more reading of of some of these particular people and people that have come out of that tradition uh than others which is kind of why I leaned there because I I know those works um and, and and the thinking of some of these theologians so that's kind of where they that's kind of where they came from um yeah yeah, Kui- yeah kuiper interesting figure like bob inc is sort of like systematic theologian um i know both you and i have have his systematic works in one form or another right abridged or unabridged and he um form dogmatics yeah the the unabridged set for big fat books right um but yeah and, and he's just kind of a down the middle of the pike kind of reformed guy that has a lot of good things to say and, and so i really enjoy reading him in general but yeah um but yeah, uh, uh, Riken is, is interesting. Um, I, I mentioned in the sermon that he was the former pastor at 10th Presbyterian in Philadelphia, so there's obviously a local connection there. But he's mm-hmm. just a Presbyterian uh, pastor, uh, theologian, who's just easy easy to read, too, easy to listen to, makes things easy to understand. Yeah, um, And his little booklet, What is a Christian Worldview, is great. Um, I
0: wasn't familiar with that title. Was it written yeah.
1: recently or like a, a while ago? I'm not sure when it was published. I mean, I... I used it as a resource in probably 2012, 13. Yeah. Okay, so I mean it's been around for maybe 10 years. It's a really good little book about
0: art as well, called Art for God's Sake, that nice. I yeah. recommend to people.
1: Yeah, so so I
0: it was... Still, I can preach at my ordination service, did you really? <laughs> yeah, that's super <laughs> random. I
1: did not preach at his.
0: Yeah, so right. it is. Good story. (laughs) That's Uh, the whole
1: story. There it is. Um, Yeah. So this is, yeah. And, and and then Henry Van Til, who I mentioned uh, has just done some, like some writing. He has, he has a book, uh, now I'm blanking on the, on the title, um, the Calvinistic concept of culture. So he sort of like uses some of these other theologians, draws things together, but it's a really, really great book. And he has actually has in the final chapter, some really interesting, like pragmatic, like, Hey, here's how you do this. Um, Nice. That are really interesting. I didn't want to get into it because it's a little bit confusing. Yeah. And uh, anyway, but yeah, I don't know. Those are. I mean, if you can quote a bunch of Dutch theologians, what can go wrong? I mean, you know, it's just fun. fun Seriously. To
0: and and you also quoted this person, Tim, Kallair. <laughs> can you tell me more?
1: So I didn't quote uh, him, but I alluded to him. Okay. Um. Yeah, and I, and I didn't say this fully in the sermon. Maybe this was something I could I could have mentioned in guitar some Plickings, but I'm happy I'm happy to to mention it now. Um. So the. I, I just referenced the fact that in a sermon that I heard him preach once, he meant he talked about the fact that uh, history begins in a garden, ends in a garden city. Um, right. I remember pretty distinctly. It was a sermon on uh, Jonah. That that I that I listened oh. to. Yeah, and he was talking about Nineveh. Um, okay. And he was he was talking about the importance of cities, mm-hmm. as, as Tim Keller would. Right. being in New York City. Yep. And I was actually trail running in Virginia when I heard that sermon. I was listening to it while running huh um and so i remember pretty distinctly where i was when when um when i listened to that sermon that always stuck with me that was an image that it was something i'd never caught before mm-hmm. or thought about um yeah a garden to a garden city is pretty interesting so that that development um is just there mm-hmm. um and, and is important to think about so yeah i didn't i didn't try to go back and find the sermon um though again it was on jonas i'm pretty sure i could find it if i needed to but uh, but yeah, but but alluded to him there, um, and I don't really know where Keller is on like Kyperianism or the cultural mandate or all that kind of stuff. Though I think he's he's pro. I, I think he is. Yeah, uh, just based on other things I've written or, or I've read that he's written or sermons or whatever. But um, yeah. But anyway, yeah. So I alluded to him there as well. That's true. Yeah.
0: Very good, and Eric, I appreciate the Bible references. We had Leviticus, Psalms, Matthew, John, Jeremiah. So yeah. Yeah. Anything there you'd want to point us to?
1: I mean, yeah, I mentioned, I mean, the big three were Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus talks about being salt and light. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it's obvious, but if you don't think about it, um, you can gloss over it easily. That Just the fact that, like, salt and light, just they require proximity. Yeah. You know, you just can't, you can't separate. Salt just doesn't do anything if it's in the cabinet, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, doesn't do anything for me in a cabinet. Yeah, I know. I know. made some steaks. This Man, I ate a lot of red meat this past weekend. I <laughs> know uh, I think about it. Um, you
0: were pre-gaming for the servant, So obviously. my
1: in-laws were in town, as you've already mentioned. And when they come in town, like, we try to get them, you know, local fare. Because they live in Tennessee. So I mean, we, had, right. we had pizza. We had the spaghetti and meatballs. Like, I went out and had a burger. We grilled steaks. You had so. the,
0: the meatball. You had the, the burger.
1: Right, yeah. Had to have <laughs> it all. So, um, but anyway, but yeah, so salt <laughs> – getting back on topic salt uh N-A-C-L. yeah it doesn't, doesn't do anything if if, if if it's in the cabinet light again doesn't do anything if it's h- hidden under a basket uh, no to use another uh reference i'm of, gonna let it shine of jesus let it shine baby um and so but i think that's an important piece um yep. people talk about being salt and light but again proximity is essential for that so i just wanted to draw that out and i, and I wanted to quote from jesus and not just like hang out in the old testament um right. only or even to like do Old Testament and skip all the way to Revelation or mm. or, or letters of the Apostle Paul. I thought it was important to get Jesus yeah. into this sermon. And then John 17, I mentioned earlier, is just kind of a, a classic text to talk about Christ and culture. And so I wanted to use that also, um, just a, f- a few lines from Jesus's high priestly prayer as he's praying for his disciples. Um, and then Jeremiah 29 is like one of my all time favorite, just like rando Bible verses. Yeah. Um, i just think it's an epic verse that's just buried in the middle of this like major prophet book that you know by the time Seek pe- the peace of the
0: city for yeah their peace you will find peace yeah i
1: mean by the time people quit on their annual bible reading plans they just haven't found that verse yet it's just kind of like hidden there. yeah but it's a gem um and, and i think a really a really beautiful verse that does it and it actually and i probably should have said this but maybe people picked up on it anyway it doesn't only promote the cultural mandate but also promotes the the procreation piece like both of the ordinances yep. that are found in that passage are right there it's right. like give your sons and daughters a marriage and let them make babies and mm-hmm. yeah seek the peace of the city and build right. houses and build gardens and it's just a, it's a great verse um, that's right there in the middle of, uh, in the middle of the bible that um, speaks to the cultural mandate as well and again god speaks that to his people not in jerusalem not in awesome circumstances mm-hmm. but in pretty horrific circumstances they're in exile they're with right. people that are hostile to them or Mm -hmm. they're in a pagan culture and God tells them to do things that are good for the well-being of all. Yeah. Which doesn't sound horrendously dissimilar from where the church often finds itself in the history of the world that, you know, we are not always in these like Christian strongholds, uh, doing culture, but we're in the midst of, of a society that, that may or may not, um, be super jazzed about Jesus. So, yeah, I think it's an important verse for the context too. Yeah.
0: it's, It's a great one. So, Jeremiah twenty nine was a verse that was contested during the Keller Wars. Not that there was Keller oh, Wars. Tell but, me more, Jim. But, but, but as a as my understanding is, as Redeemer Church, New York City, where Tim Keller planted, uh, became a bigger and bigger thing. That that was a big verse for like mm. Redeemer's push into the city. There, there right. were some corners of Presbyterianism. That said, that that was a misappropriation of the text, where that's a specific talk, talking about that's a specific time and place. It's not any city. That's Babylon, and it's an overuse for people that were pro mission to the city to mm-hmm. seek the shalom of all of these different places. But one of the best defenses that I ever heard of that being using that verse for that context is actually from Phil Riken. So it all oh, comes, comes together man, again, full circle, in, in his sermons from Jeremiah that have been published into a book. So. I am on that same page. Nice. Now, guitar slim pickens, you got any got any leftovers, any outtakes, any uh, bloopers where where you were doing a sermon in front of the mirror and said something embarrassing?
1: Um not no there's not a whole lot to add here. The only thing I would add is you did skip over one bar band cover tune, which is which you, you didn't what did I miss? Well you didn't oh, mention – Oh the the, the... He didn't mention the only the only <laughs> quote that was like actually a song uh, since this whole theme of this whole podcast uh, is music Ben rector Richter rector okay yeah. Ben rector Oh, man it's it's I mentioned the last time I was on the podcast which was like ages ago that um, one of my goals in preaching is to get uh, is to try to quote from the RCA standards more so the mm-hmm. Heidelberg the Belgics specifically, right. um, though canons a dort. Are are just fine and dandy in the Belhar as well. But um, uh, one of my other goals always is to fit in a Nashville-based singer-songwriter. <laughs> right. <laughs> that has been a goal always, uh, and and I have done it periodically over the years. And so it was fun to fit to fit Ben Rector. I think I played this song for you in the car once when we were driving somewhere. It did ring a bell. Yeah, yeah. It's just a I probably played it for you when more when the album first came out. Mm-hmm. Um, since we haven't done a whole lot of writing in the car in the last year and a half. <laughs> But um, also but, true. but yeah, I, I I really like Ben Rector's music. I've I've met him in person at some smaller venues, you like saw him way, in Philly way back well, in the day. You? I saw him. No, oh, I didn't know. No, it was a, it was a different different okay. guy. Uh, shout out Drew Holcomb. Okay, and, and the that's neighbor, right. In the neighbors. yep Um. Yeah, but so I haven't actually I haven't seen a Ben Rector concert. In a, in a, in a, oh no, I did see him in Philly. I did. Yeah, Karen I did go see him in Philly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a while back. It was a while okay. Back. But I've seen Holcomb as well. Um. Anyway. Um if any of you are listening, Drew Holcomb or Ben Rector, please come to Philly more often. No, <laughs> like, oh, they're listening, don't worry. Get above the Mason Dixon and come <laughs> to Philly. Uh so um yeah, but I but I love that song always stuck with me because it's it's such an intriguing song. It's the very first song on the album and like it's and knowing that he's a person of faith. Uh, it's impossible not to interpret that as a prayer. Yeah. Uh, what that, was it?
0: Did, did you see the album title? Sorry to cut, cut
1: I you I did. I did. Uh, it was this 2015 album, if I remember it right. Let me find it here. It's in my notes. Um, is it brand new? Yeah. Brand new. It was this 2015 album. Nice. Um, yeah. First song, make something beautiful. Um, yeah. And, it, and that always just stuck with me. I always thought that was really intriguing to hear. Hey, here's a musician. Mm-hmm. Um, just like praying basically at the beginning of his album, like let, let this be an album and, and a a series of songs and an experience for whoever's listening. That's like beautiful and Mm -hmm. lets them know that there's good in the world. Um, So, so I think that's cool. Um, That always really stuck with me. So I I thought that was a, would be a fun quote to end with. Um, It's hopefully bringing like a little bit of like emotionality to a sermon that did lean a little more to lecture. Mm -hmm. So anyway,
0: and let it be so for us. Ben Rector, anything else, guitar Slim Thickens before we
1: Yeah, not not much. Um you yeah, you, you already mentioned my in laws and then so did I at another series of this. But but as it's just like a random thing, I think this was the first time I ever preached live with my in laws in the room. So, oh. I, so I I'm pretty sure um my wife Carrie can correct me if I'm if I'm wrong. Or my in laws if they actually do listen to this, can correct me if I'm wrong. But I think that was the very first time. So that was kind of an interesting thing.
0: Oh.
1: Um uh yeah that was a unique element to this um, but yeah there's there's really not there's really not much more I mean what did they
0: say did they like it did they say anything
1: yeah no yeah they did we talked about it a little bit uh, while we were waiting for leftover pizza to warm up in the oven Sunday afternoon for lunch nice. um, yeah that they yeah that they enjoyed it and, and that it was a new concept to them which I'm not surprised I think it was a new concept to, to most in the yeah. room um, but again especially if you didn't grow up in a press training or reform tradition I think it would definitely be a a, a topic um, especially the title of which maybe you've never heard and maybe even the, the content of which you, you're not familiar with. So, but yeah, they enjoyed it. We chatted about it a little bit. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, there's really not much, much else um, that I, that I think I would, I would mention. We, we talked about some of the other stuff already and um, other parts of, of the podcast, just other, other topics that are intertwined that just had to be on the cutting room floor and that kind of thing. Okay. So, yeah.
0: Have I told you the first sermon feedback I ever got from my father-in-law? Gosh, I think you have, but tell, why don't so, you tell our audience? It, my father-in-law, whom I love dearly and who loves me deeply and dearly, for the first few times he saw me preach, there was no feedback, and finally, after a few sermons, the the feedback that I got, he said, you are improving.
1: <laughs> <laughs> He's an encourager. And I still have Gift of encouragement. Amen. Okay, <laughs>
0: let's go to Encore right now. We do have a letter here from Howlin' Wolf Sharon. Thank you for writing in. And if you want to be part of the conversation this way, you can email into to at gmail.com. This is what Sharon says. Hi, Jim and Emily. Uh, Eric, you be Jim. I'll be Emily here. I've been catching okay. up on sermons and podcast episodes, so this email will have a bunch of random stuff. Main thing, though, is that I really appreciate the sermon series. Can imagine that there are, are many challenges and nervous moments. So we're praying for you. Prayers appreciated. We've also appreciated more discussion, background, deep dives, humor in the podcasts. Turns out, Sharon says, a person named Jerry Sitster, another church historian, 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 author of a book called "A Grace Disguised," wrote a book fairly recently on the third way, called "Resilient Faith." Oh. Maybe you've read and or mentioned it, but in case you hadn't, uh, she sent an excerpt and recommends the book. So, oh, so Sharon, thanks for saying that. My follow-up would be, I, I hope that Jerry Sitzer doesn't use the, the phrase third way because we've just spent a lot of money with our Liberty Collinswood with Legal getting that copyrighted. So yeah. it, I, th- that would be horrible. This, this, this part of the email was deeply discouraging to me. So all of, our, all of our platform plans are out the window. And then I'm with Emily. I have no idea which, podca- what, which podcast heading means what. Eric really likes the podcast headings, though. I will miss most Love of it. the re- references, quotes, et etc., unless they're softballs. However, thanks to Raymond, I know the life, the universe, and everything. D- did you read Douglas Adams growing up? No, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. What about
1: we- we've talked about how little fiction I read? before. That's okay.
0: Okay. And then, f- hey, Eric did did you like my vacation responder this this time? Did you happen to see it? Yeah, I only see it once, though. You have got plenty of emails from me. <laughs> I, it was
1: it was was it a haiku? It this was a time? haiku. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. Right, so Sharon closed the email with a haiku. Wow. Very nice the there, yeah. Sharon. Finally, perhaps most importantly, it's a haiku in two stanzas. So, so oh she, she, she doubled my creative haiku output here. You know you, what that means, Jim?
1: You need to do one that's three stanzas.
0: So, oh, man, game on. You need a haiku. The passage makes it easy. Here's your sermon, Jim. That's the first stanza. Second stanza, God created us, male, female, he made us all. Imago Dei. Wow, beautiful. Very nice. And I I did go back and do some syllabification on this just to make sure that it fulfilled the the ancient strictures of the haiku. And so it scanned properly. Sharon, thanks so much. Keep feedback coming from from Sharon or, or from other people. Yeah, like I said, right in. I also wanted to say that this is the this is the biggest download month from oh, our podcast wow. feed ever so we're already tied well if nobody else downloads anything for the rest of the month <laughs> this is not the biggest month but we're, we're already tied as of this morning with what had already been our previous biggest month okay. of downloads and we have more october to go so wow. thanks everybody for downloading and listening and also we have in our our interface uh so we just hired a part-time digital ministry director. We, we will dig in more to some of the analytics here. I'm, I'm not sure that we have the best analytics backend set up right now, or maybe I just don't know how to interpret it. So Eric might have ideas on which of those two is more likely. My,
1: my understanding but, is that podcast analytics are inherently difficult oh, because there's so many different podcatchers. Right. Like my podcatcher, for example, mm-hmm. like downloads automatically the ones I've subscribed to. Okay. Some podcatchers right. don't yeah so uh, but it doesn't mean people necessarily listened <laughs> it just means that they downloaded yeah I, which which really is all we want is your downloads we don't care <laughs> if you listen we right. just want your downloads just the downloads yeah which, the likes which, the which subscriptions is, which is a joke from the fantasy focus 06010 podcast so I, I didn't want to give credit to them on that but yeah we just, there we, want, go. we just want your downloads
0: one thing that our our analytics do allow us to take a look at is from where people are mm. listening so nice. we, we've we had upticks of listeners Uh, Eric, do you want to guess a couple of the states where we've had upticks of listeners lately?
1: I'm going to guess Louisiana. No. I'm going to guess Virginia.
0: Yes. So upticks recently, Virginia, California, Massachusetts, Ohio, and New York. So if you're Mm -hmm. a Helen wolf in any of those places, let us know that you're listening to us. Give us an email and also... Do you remember Eric? How we used to call our first few men's retreats at Liberty Collingswood the Hoff treats because they were. No, we did not (laughs) call them that. No, we did. (laughs) No, we did. And our men's retreats were David Hasselhoff themed. I want you to know, Eric, that we have an uptick in Germany right now. So we are big in Germany, following in the footsteps of the Hoff. So if you're listening from Germany write into us and tell us what you really think about david hasselhoff he is awesome
1: also you just mentioned several states and our countries that have good wine regions I, if any of you reach out to me i will give you my home address and you can ship some that would be fine as well
0: <laughs> we're we just trying to do our part compassionately and selflessly for the kingdom of god eric thank you so much for jumping on the podcast it was a great sermon buddy yeah, Eric yeah. and I are going to have a staff meeting right now. And for the rest of you, how was it? That was amazing. Thanks so much for joining us. This has been the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem, a production of Liberty Collingswood. Go ahead, rate, review, and subscribe, and you can find all things Liberty Collingswood at libertycollingswood.org. No more Post-Sunday Blues. Here comes some pre-Sunday happy.